Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where we talk with people leading creative, outside-the-box spiritual endeavors that inspire and engage us. Our vision is to unfold God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And bring into being Ha'alam Haba, the just world to come. You are listening to the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where faith leaders, activists, or people who simply want to change the world have left the building too, with Marta, Mandy, and Lily. In episode five, Presence Rather Than Perfection, we talk to Omar El Hawaji, a screenwriter, employment discrimination attorney, and the co-founder of the inclusive spiritual Muslim organization, Grassroot Islam. Omar brings an energy and a presence to our conversation that we love. We can't wait to share his work with you. Hey, Omar, this is this is Marta over here for our listeners out there. We're so glad that you are with us today, and we're excited to hear your story. And um, we had a little chit chat before the recording went, and. Omar is so much fun, everybody out there. We love him. <laughs> and also, I have to say, he grew up on Marta Street, and that makes him even more fun. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like now the bar has been set too high, both in terms of where I've previously lived and my energy level. But <laughs> it is really great to be here with all of you. Thank you. It's so good to see you, Omar. Um, this is Lily speaking. And I think to start off our conversation, we want to talk about religious and spiritual leadership. We want to talk about fostering interconnection. And I know you do amazing work in the world through grassroots Islam and beyond. Um, But I think to start us off, we'd love for you to tell us about yourself and what you're doing in the world, um, however you would describe that in this moment. Thank you, Lily. That's really kind of you to say. I would say uh, in terms of just generally about myself in this moment in time, I feel like I've taken the last two years to really reflect on what I wanted and like where I'm trying to head. So, and part of that has been Grassroots Islam, which has been really incredible. So for those who don't know, Grassroots Islam is an organization that I and two others co-run, which is an inclusive spiritual space for Muslim Americans that was born in April, 2020. So that would have been the first Ramadan during the pandemic. One of my best friends reaches out to me two days before Ramadan and says, so what are we gonna do? And I was like, I don't know, man, be sad in our homes. Like, I don't know what your question is. <laughs> and then the next day he sends out a message to a handful of people he knows. And he was like, so what are we going to do? I set up a Zoom call for us today. And in one day we put together a full Ramadan program with over, I believe that first Ramadan we did over 24 events, hundreds of Muslims from around the country are Zooming in and we create a community And we realized by the end of it that there was this huge need where people wanted a spiritual home. And it wasn't just because of the pandemic. People were craving that kind of space where they could ask hard questions, where they could feel like they were able to be safe in a space with other Muslims who maybe worship differently than they do, who maybe belong to a different Islamic sect than they do. But they were all there because they wanted to connect on what it means to believe in this higher power. Um, And I think that for me was a huge turning point in my life as well, where it also started giving me the confidence to ask questions of what I want to do with my time in my life. So since then, I've started to build up an employment discrimination law practice where I support plaintiffs who are going through employment discrimination law. And uh, I'm moving to Los Angeles 
uh, to be a screenwriter as well. So trying to do all these different things because I just started writing during the pandemic and I was like, this brings me joy. What if I wrote stories about Muslim Americans who were part of these huge communities that showcase different versions of what it means to be Muslim and American in the same way that I felt like grassroots Islam represented that for me. Can I jump in for one second? Um, can you, um, for, for our listeners out there, because, you know, obviously um, Mandy and I are progressive Christians and Lily is Jewish. Um, can you say, what, can you tell about Ramadan, that, that high holy season for you? And also, mm. what did that look like gathering that year? on Zoom, like, how, I mean, I can imagine us doing high holy seasons on Zoom, but you know, what does that look like for you all? Yeah, so Ramadan is a one month every year from the lunar calendar, so it moves up about 13 days. So if you meet someone, they're always gonna be like, oh, is it Ramadan already? Yes, yes it is, because it has moved up 13 days roughly. <laughs> but Ramadan is a holy month where Muslims uh, abstain from food and water from dawn to sunset. But in addition to that kind of uh, abstention, we also abstain from trying to talk poorly about people. We try and abstain from having a negative attitude. We try and increase charitable giving. So Muslims during Ramadan are one of the most charitable groups in the world. It's about shifting that attention from what I would say oftentimes is the overindulgence in my life to kind of putting that back outward and reflecting on my relationship with other people, both in terms of a communal way and with connecting and during this month, but also in a charitable way. In addition to that, refocusing my relationship with God. And I think it's just one month where you have an opportunity to really reflect on that. And I think part of my journey has been, what does it look like to do all of that? Well, also not putting this immense amount of pressure on myself to be able to do all of it during Ramadan. So I think of it as a month that is in many ways, kind of a refresher in doing those things so you can carry them over for the rest of the year. And then every year you get this one month where you kind of get to reboost and re-energize in that way. Um, in terms of grassroots Islam, what we did that first Ramadan and have been doing since and growing in different ways. And I think this is the first place I get to share this. We just became a 501c3, which we're really excited about. Mm -hmm. So that's the first time we get to publicly say that anywhere. We being the royal we at this moment because my co-founders are not here with me, but then we get to, we're finally a 501c3. That first Ramadan, it was uh, a Zoom room with a million different breakout rooms and a different topic every time. And we would find people that we knew or people who we were tangentially connected to who would either be one, willing to lead a Quran study, two, a discussion group, which we now have called Ruh Roundtables, Ruh means soul in Arabic, so soulful roundtable. And then, or a sadaqa chat. And sadaqa is a, a form of charitable giving. And so then we would get different Muslim nonprofit leaders to come do Q&As with our community. And we did this about three to four times a week during the month of Ramadan, that first Ramadan. And we've been keeping it going. Uh, we now do events twice every month. Last October, we had our first in-person retreat mm. and we have the month of May off because we just finished our first third full Ramadan program and I am wiped, <laughs> but it was so lovely to be able to do it another round. And I'm really grateful. Every time 
the organization continues to grow and exist. And I remember how much joy and energy it gives me and what a gift it is in and of itself that I get to be a part of it. I love that. Um, I have just one other little thought yeah. I was thinking about as, as you're describing your, your month, um, your sacred month of Ramadan, is that I think this year in 2022, um, the season of Lent for Christians and the season of Passover for the Jewish community and Ramadan all happened at exactly the same time. And I, you know, I know deeply that Lent sounds very similar. So as we're thinking about this interconnection and bringing these um religious leaders into this space that um, that's just a unique connection that I wanted to make between all of our traditions and and actually how similar and yet distinct they are right and um, because the way you just described that besides the food thing I would have such an issue with the food thing by the way oh my gosh what do you do you like like go to your fridge at like in the evening and just go crazy and then wake up in the morning and go crazy again so no you would think so you really don't you really don't. I actually, first of all, even during the day, um, I was home for a portion of Ramadan. And by home, I mean on Marta Street. And I I watched a great British bake-off with my mom during the day. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it, it's surprising how the food becomes less important. But the day after Ramadan ends, I'm like, I need a breakfast sandwich 20 minutes ago. Like there is a huge shift mentally for me where then that food becomes, I need to be regimented, I need to be scheduled. It's very different than during the month of Ramadan where you're like, oh no, I'm fine. We can keep it going. Mm. Well, and I think that really speaks to that it is, it's shifting intention and focus, Mm. right? From Mm -hmm. the indulgence, from the like, what are the um, really visceral needs that we need every day and like subbing that in for food. And into like, what does it look like to connect with others? What does it look like to lean into generosity? And mm-hmm. I really resonate with during the high holidays that happen, both in terms of Jew- the Jews are also on the lunar cycle. And so it's like, is it the high holidays already? Like, let's do this right now. <laughs> um, but that piece of like, during that 10 days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it is like, I really resonate with that. Like, let me reflect back on like, how I said I wanted to show up in the world do that really meaningfully in this window of time and then see what of those patterns and practices can propel me into what's next. So having like a really oh. loving reflection and realignment um, yes. is really powerful. And I can imagine doing that for a month. Um, there's like this dance between the individual practice and the communal practice that I think is really beautiful. And um, I'm curious about I know that um, when I've said to you, Omar, I think you're a spiritual leader. You're like, I'm holding a container for other people. And I'm like, but I think you're a spiritual leader. So I'm going to let you identify however you want. And I see you this way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I'm curious if you, to talk a little bit about like, how do you, how does like, like holding space as a leader, holding a container, how does that relate to fostering interconnection for you? How do you hold community um, what is that bringing up for you? So those are lots of different intersecting questions, but yeah. Yeah, even um, I think when, when I was asked to do this podcast, I think I replied being like, I am not a spiritual leader, but I am happy to do yes. it. something of that nature. Um, so for those listening, the way I view my role is I am one of three people who run this organization, Grassroots Islam. And the reason I run it is not because I am an imam, which would be like a religious leader or a scholar of any kind. 
I run it because I want it to exist. And I think there's a vacuum. And if that's I and my two co-founders, Rabia and Ariana, who you all, uh, who I think some of you had the opportunity to be weren't doing it, we don't know if it would continue to exist. And so the conversation we have oftentimes between the three of us is, what about this space is nourishing for us? And by us, I mean the three of us. Mm -hmm. And can we have momentum to keep doing this labor to ensure that the three of us can maintain nourishment? Because we are so afraid of it vanishing that we are willing to put in this labor. And that is fundamentally why I do what this work in grassroots itself because I care. And then secondarily, because I know it's making other people's lives better too. Like that for me isn't because I view myself as a spiritual leader. I think that probably speaks to some of my uh, values of both a Muslim and as a person who likes to think of himself as a public servant in some kind of way. But I know that this is making people's lives better. I know that's giving people a community for the first time who haven't had one. I know it's giving people supplemental communities who do have them, but it's giving them something different. I feel like this community has been able to help me redefine my relationship with God to one that's rooted in love. And that in and of itself is such a huge gift. And so I want to do what I can to make sure I can continue to hold up my end of the bargain and make this community one that thrives and at the very least continues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I really, something I'm hearing in what you're saying is how can nourishment be happening at all levels? But mm. I think it's really powerful to hear like you and the other organizers really centering like what would feel nourishing to us? What feels like sustainable to us? What feels spiritual and connected yeah. to God for us? And then that ripples out into the community that you're holding. And it makes it like, I don't know. I feel like there's like the shape of the community can go at that sustainable pace and scale. Mm -hmm. And then it also like you feel that divinity and that holiness each time throughout the whole space, which I think is what's different about a spiritual community versus a nonprofit versus a company versus like yeah. other affiliations. Um, it is like that, that holiness radiates throughout. And I think that's really powerful to name that that's what's mm. coming first for you as organizers. Mm, yes, that is really beautifully said. Thank you. It I just want to like receive said. that. I mean, it's beautifully said because I don't think that um, traditional spiritual leaders actually say it out loud in quite the same way. I know mm. that Mandy and I, during the pandemic, started this podcast, and we did in part because we needed to be fed. Like we needed to be connecting with people. We needed to be having those relationships. And then often I will even said like, I preach the message that I actually need to hear. And, mm. um, and so, but you know, that is, um, I don't think it is um, a, a popular theoretical framework that people live out of, um, mm. but I, or that they even name. So I think even just naming it has some radical implications in so many ways um, because it actually probably is the reality, just people aren't actually naming it in that way um, because they wanna be righteous or, you know, mm. whatever that, you know, we serve and so, or yeah. you know, something like that. And it's, and it's absent of self, right? Um, so thank you for, uh, for both Omar and Lily for um, mm. speaking into that space. I appreciate that. 
Yeah, and I think that affirmation, you know, Martin and I talked about that a lot as, as we were creating this podcast and also just the way that we um, decided to minister at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, we realized like we need to do what we need to do so that we can lead well. But I think there was this constant like questioning, you know, of like, is this the right thing? Is this what people need? Because are we just, you know, like totally going off the rails? Um, and so I think just personally, it feels um, affirming to know that like, A, we weren't the only ones um, and B, that it's okay, that that, that is a, a valid and positive way to lead, you know? So I'm really interested, Omar, like what did your, um, what did your spiritual practice look like pre grassroots Islam, what has developed into grassroots Islam, right? Before that mm -hmm. first Ramadan of 2020, um, like what did it look like before? And then like, were you in community, uh, like proximal community with people? Mm -hmm. And then it turns into this zoom thing. And then have you gone back to that or, are you doing those things like side by side? Like, what does that look like? Oh, that's a great question. And I think I'm going to answer it in a kind of a convoluted way. So if I don't get to the heart of what you want, please <laughs> feel free to do a Zoom call out, whatever needs to happen. But I oftentimes think of my religious identity in two different ways. I think there was, there's always been a personal religious identity for me that is connected to God. But I think for much of my life, my religious identity has been a political one. So I came of age in 9-11. Um, so I was in seventh grade when September 11th happened. And so much of my religious identity got co-opted by that in the United States. And I would say for the majority of my life, my religious journey has been one that is differentiating who I am publicly as a Muslim American from who I want to be personally. Uh, I started doing anti-Islamophobia work in seventh grade. My earliest memories are me going around to small churches in the state of Alabama where I lived at the time and talking about what it means to be Muslim. And so from a very young age, I started doing this kind of work to educate people on my basic level of humanity. And I think that in many ways then became part of how I outwardly expressed my religion, where I felt that like I had to be very on all the time in terms of the way I talked about my faith, in terms of the way I talked about my relationship with God, about what my faith meant to me, what it meant to others, in a way that resulted in me not taking a beat to ask myself, what does my religion mean to me? And I would say that that was a journey I was already on, but grassroots Islam was really helpful in me being in community with other Muslims and not having to be on in a way that was in any way performative, in any way where I owed anything to people, where I had to lift up any certain type of message. The only thing I had to lift up was other people and what I felt. And that was a huge shift to just give me the space to do that. I have been in community with other Muslims before and have had really incredible Muslim communities before. I would say um, both in law school and in grad school, I was in some really great like, Muslim law students organizations, Muslim graduate student organizations, but those were inherently still professional orgs at a certain level. 
with grassroots Islam, what was really remarkable is I could tell you the state of someone's heart and their relationship with God, but I couldn't tell you what their job was. And it was such a huge shift to be in that kind of space. That was one that was not attached to anything else and be able to explore what my faith meant to me. And so I think that has been the biggest shift. And I'm re-entering society like many of us are, but that is what I would define as my primary religious space now. That's so beautiful. And I think like I hear that deep interconnection that you really have found, um, you know, because of in the middle of the pandemic, right? And how, um, how telling is it that that interconnection can be found like right here, like on this little Zoom, these little Zoom squares, you know, Lily and I have never been in the same room to, together yet, but it will happen. Um, oh. But like we, we have this, you know, I feel this connection. I've, you know, been talking to you for 30 minutes and I'm like, oh, look, it's Omar, my new friend. You know? <laughs> I feel like, very similarly. I mean, that might just <laughs> be Omar's personality. Right, everybody <laughs> wants to be friends with Omar, but I really do. And like, I don't know, I think this like, this way that we are connecting in this in in this new way like and I, I think something you said about those you know professional organizations I think like that can certainly in the Christian church those those congregations can either feel like hey we're doing this because this is what we're supposed to do and we're supposed to show up and and I think especially for progressive Christians, like certainly not in the way that you experienced as a Muslim American, but like I have felt that like, oh, I have to be on because I'm a progressive Christian and I have to show where I stand at all times. And I miss like who I'm standing with over and over again, right? Because I haven't been able to foster that interconnection that is actually what my heart needs. That's actually what my soul, what, who I am as Mandy Todd, as a mm. beloved child of God, like that is actually what I need. So what the heck, man? Like, why has it taken a pandemic and us shuttered into our houses to find that space? I, that mm. is, that question is off the charts and I <sighs> not planned, but anybody got an answer to that? <laughs> I don't actually have an answer to that, but I just have to take a moment, and even for our listeners out there, around how honored Omar, like I got goosebumps hearing about how you were in seventh grade or you were coming of age during 9-11 um, as a Muslim American. Like, thank you so much for being in this space for us and sharing that story. Um, that's profound and powerful all by itself. And then you're showing up in this, um, super fun and energetic and um, really gracious and positive way. Um, I just don't want to, that's huge. What you went through was huge and, um, and your community that was so massive. And so um, I just, I just want to hold space for that for a second um, and honor that piece. Look, I'm even like welling up, oh. but um 
and also I um, just to piggyback off a little bit of what Mandy said, I just want to tap into the word perform. Mm. Um, and and um, for our listeners out there, because I think all of our religious traditions um, were running at this really fast pace of perfection and performance. And we are in like this energizer bunny and we are all learning how to perform because in some ways we are all slave to capitalism on such a massive level, right? Mm. And we had to make sure we did this thing in order to do this thing in order to do this thing. And, um, and there is something about a global pandemic that completely crashed that down, that completely dismantled that, I think for many, many people. I don't think for all people, but I think for many people. And um, so it's, it's just good to hear from someone from another tradition that you're grappling with that same idea of how do we show up without performing? And, um, and having, because, you know, performance is a, it's a mask, it is um, an armor, and, Mm -hmm. um, and it is a control thing that literally does not allow you to have those deepened relationships. And, Mm. and it's so simple, right? Performance, that one word is such a simple idea. And yet it gets in the way of so many things. Mm. So. Where is it? Oh, thank you. Uh, something that you said that is resonating with me right now is uh, your usage of the term perfection and being tied with the word performance. And what a high bar we hold ourselves to all the time. Um, even aside from religious spaces, our religious, our spiritual work that we do for ourselves and the way we engage with our spirituality. I, this is a very small point, but I'm no longer saying the phrase, I'm sorry, this is not my best work. Yeah, you get my best work one time because it was my best. Not everything can be my best work. One thing will be the best. And just like, even that shift of like, why would I apologize for that, for being human? And I'm trying to carry that same energy to my spiritual practice where um, one of my, for the first uh, event for our Ramadan program this year was an intention setting event. And one of my intentions was to not have everything figured out because I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to know it all to exist. And I think that in and of itself is valid. And to remove some of that pressure of having to reach this very heightened bar and by heightening, I mean literally the best bar, the most perfect bar, whatever you want to call it. That's just too much. And I don't think that does good work for our souls or our heart work in any way. Uh, and so when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's completely tied to a performative nature as well. And there's an armor and a shield, like you said. And I just really appreciate calling that. And so people can find your community on, on the website, right? Is that the best like front door for people to? Yes. Okay. Come can on you... through. So and the. Yeah, say that website. Um, so the website is Grassroot Islam. So root singular. Nice. That's awesome. Are we ready for my rapid responses? Is that what we're oh. ready for? Does Lily have anything else to say? <clears throat> yeah, I actually have one more f- reflection on this perfection um, conversation. Um, I was thinking about how, So one, I think the performance aspect, particularly of non-Christian faiths, 
is also about survival. Mm. Like there's this piece around like, how do I communicate my religious or spiritual tradition to other people so they understand it enough so that I can still be here. So there Mm. is a translation piece and there is a um, protection piece to that, Mm. which I hear in your story, Omar, about how you came into um, your current relationship with Muslim identity. And I have, I resonate in different ways being Jewish in Minnesota. Um, And I think that there's a piece of being able to be present where you don't have to just like explain or describe or defend something that that's where something Mm. more can really be present because you're not worried about something toppling you, right? Mm. Or penetrating the space. And so I think that's one piece. And then the other is around striving for perfection, which I think is also a version of survival. Um, Mm. But I think a lot about what does it look like to be present rather than perfect? Or like overly, we're going with alliterations, like rather than having the perfect plan, being like, if you just be present with someone, like that's how you actually can feel that deep connection. So I think about like, what does it look like to make some spaciousness for that presence to happen? And then whatever is going to come about is going to come about. And that was what was supposed to happen. So I, I really love this inclination to like show up rather than having a plan or having a perfect, like I, I like what's like the arc that we can go through or what's the general vibe or goal or ritual that's gonna happen. And then like holding just like a ton of space for whatever else needs to be there. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm resonating a lot about that, like shifting away from performance, shifting away from perfectionism and like leaning into presence. Mm. Yeah, thank you for naming that, Lily, because I think, um, yeah, I think that is really important for our listeners to hear about why um, certain groups, like it is a, um, it's a safety issue. And I I mean, I mean, that's profound, actually. And um, yeah, I I don't have actually much more to say about that, except that I'm glad that it was named. Um, Okay, so let's see here. Rapid response, Omar. Okay, so remember it's rapid, okay? All right. Ooh. Are you ready? Ooh. Are, you re- are you ready for this? Yes, let's do it. What feels possible now that wasn't possible before? Change. Anything else to change? Oh, I wasn't sure how rapid my response had to be to the rapid response. I don't know. It, <laughs> it was rapid, like, and then you asked I know. (laughs) One word. Let's go. Okay, good. Okay, let's go with that. Okay. What felt essential pre-pandemic that is no longer essential? Uh, Routine. And here's the last one, which is my favorite. And so Lily came up with these rapid responses, um, questions. What is cracking open at this moment? I think a combination of uh, creativity being also uh, surrounded by this almost like this battle between like fear and hope. And I think all of those kind of are cracking open all at the same time. But yes, I think the creativity and the hope are going to win out. Nice. Yep. There is definitely tensions right now between hope and fear. It is, they are, I don't know. I, I find they're living right next to each other also. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you just don't know what to do with them except be present, right? Mm. Oh, this has been such a lovely rapid fire. Thank you. I know, super fun. Does anybody else have anything else to say? Just a lot of gratitude. I feel like there's such a wonderful energy um, in the work that you're doing, Omar, and it's been such a gift to, to know you and to get to deepen through this medium. So thank you so much for being part of this. Yes, thank you. Um, it's so it's so beautiful to see um, the ways that we are creating these interconnections um, with our listeners. You know, bringing in voices. Um, so thank you for being a part of this. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at JHLTB and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation, or become a patron on our Patreon account at patreon.com JHLTB to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. We give thanks to Black Forest Community Church and the Tributary Fund of the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ for their ongoing support. We could not do this without all who support Jesus has left the building.